0: It's hard to say just how excited I am for this particular episode of the Loki podcast and Really, for me, although I've had so many amazing guests on the show, this is by far the biggest-named guest that I've had on the show and someone whose books I have been recommending to my own coaching clients for a long time and have been loving and enjoying reading them myself. And a lot of his podcast and online content is really just top-notch. So if you're not following him and reading his books already – you might want to be after you hear this episode. Now, it's a short episode, a bit of a shorter one than normal, but believe me, there is a ton of value packed into it. Please enjoy my chat with author of the book Fix This Next, Mike Michalowicz. Welcome to the Loki Podcast with John Ball from Present Influence. We use Buzzsprout to upload and distribute the Loki podcast to all major podcasting networks. If you're thinking of starting your own podcast, check out the link to Buzzsprout in the show notes. You could start your podcast today. This week, I'm super excited to have with me a very special guest. If you haven't heard of Mike McAllowitz before... He's an author whose books I have been recommending to a number of my coaching clients for quite a while now, author of amazing books like Profit First and Clockwork, books that uh, I love myself and have read many times over. And he has a new book out, and it seems to have come out at exactly the perfect time. (laughs) And it's called Fix This Next. Please welcome to the show, Mike McAllowitz.
1: John, thank you so much for hosting this and having me. I appreciate you.
0: It's a, it's a real pleasure to have you here, and uh, I was just watching one of your videos this morning. I like to watch all the emails you send out about having a uniform for what you wear. <laughs> <laughs> My <laughs> vest, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah, not in I the would... uniform right now. I should be. <laughs> I was wondering if a cape might be a bit much. but
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it can work. You know, there, it's funny. I know you're saying that in jest, but there was a business here in the U.S. called Geek Squad. I think it maybe even became international. And these were computer technicians that started to wear a funny costume, taped glass glasses, short pants that were flooded, uh, and they got a reputation for being extraordinary. Not because they were, just because they had this wonderful, funny uniform.
0: Excellent. Well, you know, I, I do teach power pose in some of my uh, some of my uh, pres- presenter training, so it might be a good thing to have uh, to have in there for teaching yeah. power pose, right. but uh, but maybe not as a uniform. One of the things I do want to ask you, you're, you're a prolific podcaster yourself. Mm-hmm. And so you obviously see a lot of value in podcasting as, oh, yes. as something to put out content and share with the world. What do you think, as uh, someone who puts out a lot of content, actually makes a good podcast, something that maybe even just something that you would want to tune into personally?
1: I think when it, when it goes deep, uh, and particularly when it explores something that's unexpected or different... You know, I, I host a podcast and I interview often in podcasts. And it's very clear that many podcasts have their five prescribed questions. They go through the same routine. And um it's it's informative, but it's repetitive. So you will you'll hear a guest on one show, and it's like, oh, you hear them answer the same questions. Um but other shows go really deep. A super popular one um here in the US is Joe Rogan. Have you heard the Joe Rogan? Yeah, so it goes in deep and it's a little bizarre and he talks about his drug habits <laughs> and stuff. But you know, he goes in really deep and it feels like a fly in the wall experience. So instead of watching a canned newscast on television, it feels like you're in this room with the guests. And to me, that's the game changer.
0: I like to have much more of a conversational style, yeah. so I don't like to ask the same questions over and over again. But I do have something of a theme to the to the podcast that I put out, that being around presentation skills and the skills and tools of influence and persuasion, uh, which I think are really valuable things for for people to know and to learn. How important do you think the ability to present, whether that's online or in person, is for business owners, particularly?
1: Oh yeah. So presentations, everything. And, um, particularly now, uh, that th- the way we come across is so important because the, the virtual environment flattens the experience. It loses it. It physically loses a dimension. It's now becomes two dimensional. Right. And the only way to bring that robustness again is our ability to present. And to me, presentation, um, It comes in so many forms, but at the end, it's an extension of our natural self. So I'm a very, I gesticulate a lot. I move a lot. My energy goes all over the place. I get very voluminous and I come and that's my style. Um, I think the mistake that some people do is say, oh, that's the style that works. I got to replicate that, but it's not true to who they are. And then it comes across as just plain weird. Some people are very serious or meticulous or thoughtful. Um, others are just funny Whatever our true style is, I think we need to concentrate on amplifying that. The way we present ourselves distinguishes ourselves. So the the one mistake is trying to be something we're not, to try to placate. I think the greatest way to be noticed is by presenting by being authentic. And that is key, particularly in this environment.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love that. Uh, A lot of people have been having to take themselves online recently for obvious reasons, and not everybody is used to, or familiar with doing Zoom and online presentations. Yeah, yeah. What what are a few things, a few of your top pointers or things that you would recommend people to do just as best practice if you like?
1: A couple of things, just uh, make sure you stage it properly. And part of his lighting, I actually just hired a photographer because photographers are not too busy right now. I paid him a nominal fee. I think it was $50 and just asked, how do I set this up properly? He said, well, get a key light. So there's a light, right? You can't see it, but it's off screen there. That's illuminating my face. Without that, I'd be dark and shadowed. He said, be in the top third. So you can see right now, my eyes are near the top third of the screen. Yeah. Um, that's natural eye level. You know, you see some people that are down like this and they're like, Hey, good to <laughs> see you. Thanks for, <laughs> it's comical. It's funny. Yeah. You got to be up here. Um, get good equipment. So I have a good microphone here. My, my speaker actually just died. Um, so I had to put this headset on normally. I wouldn't even have a headset and then the scenery itself. So either get a great, you're, we're talking about your background. A great virtual background is right. powerful. Yours is really solid. Um mine's a physical background, but this is also strategically staged. I know my head's gonna be in this blue frame, which is a window, which is blocked out, but I know my head's gonna be in the blue frame. And on the right side, I have something that's interesting. It happens to be my own book, so there's a marketing component, but have something that's compelling but not distracting. So I don't want like have flashing lights and all this stuff that would distract you. I just want something that's visually pleasing. So as your eye drifts away from me. And then the last and final, probably the most important component that almost everyone misses out, is talk to the camera. So I'm staring at this. I'm not looking, if I looked at you, I'd be actually looking like this to look at you. I but so I look here, because that maintains eye contact and yeah. trust is conveyed through eye contact. I would argue if you do nothing else, if you present horribly, if you, if you have a horrible background, if it's not lit properly, if you simply keep your eye locked on the camera, your, the trust and confidence people will have in you will be so much greater.
0: Right. Now, it would be uh, inept of me to not talk about a little bit about your new book. And I'm on my second time listening to the oh, audio version of that at the moment. I'm, and I'm really loving it, as always, from you, good content. How, how important is it, do you think, to be uh, an author in terms of, do you think it makes a big difference to, to credibility? And I'll follow that on with, what is probably the number one thing that most business owners do need to fix next?
1: Yeah. Okay. So first of all, the authorship does add to credibility. Yes. And I can say that now unequivocally, I've been a business owner for the entirety of my adult life. So 25 years. And um, I am saying this, some of the same stuff today in my books that I said verbally before, and there's something interesting. It's just the human Genome, or something that we see something in writing and we we put creed in it, we, we see value in it, where if we just hear it, it seems insignificant. So, being an author brings a validity to what you say that cannot be touched through the spoken word or rarely. So, yes, in regards to what do we need to fix next in our personal lives or our business, I, I developed a concept I call it the business hierarchy of needs. And what it is is five levels of needs that every business has. And if you're a business of one, if you're a speaker, presenter, you're a business as an individual. The foundational level is we need sales for every organization. It's the oxygen for a business. If you have no sales, the business is suffocating. Once that's adequately addressed, then we move to the level of profit. Profit is the creation of stability for an organization. It's the absorption, if you will, of that oxygen into the bloodstream of the, the business. So you can breathe all you want, but if it's not getting in your blood, it will kill you. So you need to bring sales in that support profit. Profit then supports order. That's the muscle of an organization. So now we're using that oxygen to deliver. And then there's impact. Impact is transformation. It's where We're where of service to others beyond the transaction in our business. The highest level is legacy. Legacy is the creation of permanence. And so what I argue is look at this hierarchy of needs. Always start at the foundation, evaluate, do I have any sales? And are the sales adequate to support profit? Do I have adequate profit to support order? And you keep on asking yourself if it's adequate and you start building this structure like a building and you level up. The, the last thing I want to share is it's is not a ladder. You don't climb to the top and you achieve legacy and you wave to your friends. You move around as you build your business you'll have to go back to sales and improve sales more. Now that that foundation's a little bit bigger, you build a bigger level of profit. And on that, you can put a bigger level of order and efficiency. And you keep on moving up and down and address what needs to be fixed
0: next, one thing at a time. It's good advice. And... As a, someone who does a lot of business speaking yourself, one of the things I particularly like about listening to you and reading your books as well is that you are very honest about the mistakes that you've made in the past and what you did about correcting them. And, it, and it's very real. You know, I've been in the personal development world a long time and you often hear some very similar stories that seem a bit sort of run out, but you're sort of very unique to yourself and you know that that's real stuff that you're putting out there and that's super helpful to everybody. You made Thank a big you. transition though, to being the spokesperson of your of your business. And so when did you actually make that decision that you were going to be a speaker and do, do more speaking work?
1: Yeah. So initially I started writing, uh, initially as an entrepreneur, I then uh, had this turning moment in my life. I, I'd sold a couple companies and I, I thought I just had it all going on. I was so full of myself. I started another business that was a calamity. I had right to be in that space. I was blowing good money after bad. I had no idea what I was doing. And I evaporated all my wealth. I was on the verge of bankruptcy and uh, lost my home over it, lost my possessions. I didn't lose my family. That's the only thing that stayed with me, the most important thing. And I uh, went through some depression and I, I, had a, I restarted myself. I found there was an interesting phenomenon. There's a saying out there saying, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do? It encourages you to pursue your dream, but it precludes you from pursuing that dream because it requires you to have all the money in the world. That's the danger. Well, I found there's a complimentary question. It says, if you have no money, what's the vocation you desire most to support yourself? And when there's an alignment between the dream and an alignment between your vocation, if they can be the same, well, now that's a calling. I always wanted to be an author. And once I was rock bottom, I said, I want to have a vocation as an author that supports my lifestyle. And that's what I did. Well, I started writing books and I realized books alone, at least in the beginning, are not enough to support someone, at least for most people. Stephen King and some other authors would be the exception. But um, actually, even Stephen King, I take it back, its not. he had to have a teaching career as he was writing until his books caught on. I needed to have a teaching career too, as a speaker. So when I started writing books, I could make a lot more money, uh, at least at that time, by delivering keynotes and speaking and doing a lot of them. Now, that's exhaustive work. I could maybe, maybe do 60 or 70 in a year if I really put everything into it. But uh, <clears throat> what what I noticed is that by speaking, you start becoming an authority. You have a captive audience for 45 minutes to maybe an hour that then may buy your book. If they buy your book and love your book, they may tell other groups and they'll get a speaking gig. So these things started to work in conjunction. Speaking sold books and selling books sold speaking. Today, I... Well, last year I spoke about 50 times, so I still am very active in it. Now with this pandemic, uh, the speaking in traditional sense on stage has dropped off, but now it's a lot of virtual speaking. And uh, I can't wait to get back on the stage. Right. It is it is such a powerful experience where you can be of service to a community, where you have people just listening to every single word because they, they've come there for that intention. And if you can engage them and shift their lives in that moment, you won't be forgotten. So... Um, That's how speaking has served me. And and I believe in that platform so much books, books are the core of who I am. And if I had to pick between the two, I would simply do books, but booking books and speaking work in such uh, such a symbiotic relationship that I, I foresee me doing that as long as I
0: possibly can. Great. One of the things I think probably we've all got a book in us or something, (laughs) something like that, right. But, um, like myself, I've got maybe several books that I've started, but you know, it's always a bit of a struggle to actually get them finished. How do you how do you get past those sort of sticking points or actually make it actually just make it happen and get it out there?
1: So well for me, I'll show you on my camera how I do it. There's a little sign right over there. That's my life's mission, eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. And um that that came out of that moment when I lost all my money and uh it would just wipe myself out and realize that there. I'm not the only entrepreneur that's gone through this. I, I have a very clear mission. I, this is unique to me. I have it all over. Like it says it in this band wrapped on my wrist. Every, I never take this off since the day I've gotten it. And it says eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. Every second of my life, I'm reminded of my life's purpose and mission, as I've defined it. Right. And uh, when I get stuck, it's like I almost swap myself in the head. Like I have no excuse to be stuck here. I got, I got something bigger than me I got to work on. I'm serving a bigger purpose. And if I'm going to get stuck in my own pettiness of I can't do this or I really rather do something else, um, shame on me. At least that's how I I judge myself. Maybe that's a little bit draconian or a little bit beating myself up, but I don't have an excuse. I write every single day. This morning, 6 this morning, I wrote from 6 to 7 o'clock this morning, and I will tomorrow and the day after. And that's not even in writing season. When I'm in writing season, it's like four hours a day when I'm working actively on a book. Yeah. Um I think the mission for me has been magnificent. The other thing too is I'm in a writer's group. We call it a sprint group. So this morning at six, I wasn't by myself. There was about 10 other writers in there all writing. And the funny thing is it's not like we're talking. It's all virtual over Zoom. Um, we simply say, All right, write for the next 20 minutes or 30 minutes and we write, and then we stop and we say, Okay, five-minute breather. How's everyone doing? Good. Okay, back to work. Right. And just by observing and seeing other people in that process. I have to get stuff done. It's very powerful.
0: I like that yeah I've got a few sort of online time accountability groups and maybe don't take as much advantage of them as I could but uh, you're inspiring me I was thinking about your message this morning on my walk to the office listening to the audiobook and talking about eradicating uh, entrepreneurial poverty and I'm thinking yeah maybe uh, maybe I need to focus more on my mission of uh, eradicating crappy speeches and <laughs> presentations <laughs> but make it but it still needs to be a bit more than that as well it needs to be a bit more than that it hasn't quite got the well, idea
1: let me just let me suggest maybe it doesn't need to be more than that what what matters is that your heart starts beating a little bit faster when you think of it that, that, that you get a little bit of bumps on the back of your neck and you get a little chills on your arms and i think that's what it is i remember i met this uh entrepreneur and we were talking about exactly this life's purpose mission and i said you know my life's mission is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty and he looks at me and i a tear wells up and he goes he goes i'm so embarrassed he's like I don't have a life's purpose. He goes, all all my life's purpose is, is to put food on the table for my children. And I looked at him and I said, uh, your purpose is, is a great purpose. Um, please, let's not compare. Your purpose, from many perspectives, is far greater than mine. This is not something to be compared. Uh, you, you are called to do what you feel called to do, and you must deliver on it. Well, ends up this guy, his wife had passed away. Um, he was a s- single father caring for two daughters. And um, he said, I got to bring food on the table. I ran, I, and sadly, I do not remember his name. I only remember the experience. I ran into him again. He, where, some event I was speaking at, and, I, and he went to the same event. I saw him like two years later, and he pulled me aside. He's like, hey, do you remember talking to me? And I said, yeah, yeah, the the food on the table. I get it. He goes, I want you to know. He goes, I've been doing it for two years, and now it's transitioned. He goes, I realized that single parents, the most important moments they have in their family life is often dinner because we got to work and do things. That is a a very important period of time. And um, I started a mission of uh, single parents of providing them with dinners. You know, that's my new business is to give dinners to single parents so they can enjoy the time together so they can be a family for that precious hour or two. And I was like, oh, my God, that is massive. I was the one crying this time. So I think we got to we as a society have to be very careful about diminishing our purpose. There, there's no better or worse purpose. There's a pathway. I, I believe it's God given, but you know we choose if it's self given or God given or whatever. But there's a pathway that we is appropriate for us. And um, so let's never diminish your, our purpose. I think your purpose is powerful, bro. Really powerful
0: it's uh it's all about uh, i threw a bro in there very american of me <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, <powerful> bro <laughs> no, i'm a big believer in choosing your life's purpose and yeah. uh, deciding what that mean what that's going to mean for you yourself so mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate what you say there as well and so one thing one thing i do want to ask you i think one thing i really love about lot of your work is how you give some really nice reframes on stuff um mm. you may not know but I've been working with Harv Ecker for about the last 10 years I don't know if you know Harv but Harv teaches this money jar system you may have heard of it and and I constantly get asked people what about for business does it work for business and like well I think there is a variation of it but profit first is the thing that works for business it's like the the money jars for business and it just makes sense of how to how to organize stuff every business owner that I recommended that to has had big breakthroughs and realizations and uh, this is this is such such a big thing in terms of actually being able to, to take profit out of your business the thing that you know you you talk about in your books is that you weren't doing that for the for the longest time and people thinking just have to get that bit higher, have that bit more sales, get to this next bit and it'll start happening. It won't until you actually start managing things correctly, right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly correct. So it is human nature to prioritize what comes first and to deprioritize what comes last. So the traditional approach to profit is that we have to have sales or turnover minus expenses results in profit. And so the traditional model tells us that profit comes last. But it's human nature. When something comes last, it means it's insignificant. So most business owners don't consider profit. I mean, maybe at the end of the month, they look at their income statement and say, oh, didn't, didn't have profit. Maybe next month. At the end of the year, as they're doing their taxes, they look and was there any profit? And No. May, or maybe even worse, there's an accounting profit where it says, oh, here's a number. You have $5,000 or something. And then we ask the accountant, well, where is it? And they're like, oh, that's not real money. That's funny money. That's accounting money. There's no cash left. Right. Well, what we do with Profit First is exactly that. It's now take our profit first. So when there's sales, we immediately take a percentage of that money, whatever you deem appropriate. And there, there's a method I teach in the book, but 5, 10, or 15%, or whatever. You take that percentage, hide it away from yourself, put in that jar, the Harvecker jar, and then the money left over is what's appropriate to run your business. So it's the pay yourself first principle applied directly to business. And the, the impact is extraordinary. We estimate. And we think it's pretty accurate. It's about 350,000 companies that are now doing profit first, and it's something that can be started immediately. You know, even during a pandemic, <laughs> you can you can start by just allocating a simple, small percentage. Start slow and let it grow. Maybe one percent of your income starting today. Hide it away from your business. Put it in an account called Profit. Don't touch it. Accumulate that, and over time, that will grow to two and three percent, and it'll start moving up to higher levels. But what will happen is you'll start seeing what's truly available for your business. Because if I want my company to have a 20% profit then, and I take it away, then my business will tell me, then here's what you must run off of the remaining 80%. And we start adjusting our business operations accordingly.
0: Yeah. Well, it's all really good stuff. And I will continue to recommend your books for for a very long time. Thank and you, you've got a new podcast coming out as well. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so we're retiring. We had a podcast called Entrepreneurship Elevated. It ran for 350 episodes or thereabout. And uh, we're starting a new show called All Up in Your Business. And it's a little cheeky, but the idea of this is to investigate topics that aren't investigated all the time, to go a little bit deeper, to scratch the surface. So just last episode we recorded, we started talking about racism and how it affects business. And we're, we're just exploring topics a little more deeper. Deeply, but it's the same old me. I can't help but joke around. We have, we horse around and
0: have a lot of fun, yeah. but we, we talk about some serious stuff. I'm going to look forward to listening to that. I have one more question because I know you have to go pretty shortly, but what should I drink next?
1: <laughs> oh, well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> so uh, that's so funny. So there's a parody book uh, that may or may not exist. Uh, there may be a website called drinkthisnext.com and it may be password protected. And you have to know my nickname, all one word, to get in there. And I'm not going to tell you my nickname is. Maybe you can reveal it, or other people can figure it out. But yeah, uh, uh, as a joke, we made this parody book called "Drink This Next," and uh, it's, it's surprisingly popular. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they can find out if they buy the if they buy the book, right? Or at least this... yeah,
1: yeah. The code the code's in the book. So if you get fixed this next uh, in the book, I reference it, In the audio book I reference it, so you'll find it in there.
0: I wish we had more time to talk, but I really appreciate everything you've shared with us today. And thank you for coming on the show. It's been a real joy to speak to you. Thank you.
1: John, a pleasure being with you. Thanks for having me.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please make sure you like and subscribe. There are some great episodes coming up with some amazing guests, and I wouldn't want you to miss a single one. If you think you'd be a great guest on the podcast or you know someone who would, I'd love to hear from you. And always, I'm happy to get any feedback that might help to improve the show. As a coach and trainer, I work with service business owners, coaches, trainers, speakers, authors in presentation skills, both online and in person. I help people to create and deliver additional products and services including webinars that make sales and to add residual income to your business. I teach and train the tools of ethical influence and persuasion that can help you to stand out in the marketplace, to step up as a leader and to communicate more effectively with clients, customers and colleagues. If you would like to book in a free 20-minute no-obligation discovery call with me to find out if working with Present Influence is right for you, click the link in the show notes. Alternatively, visit presentinfluence.com, click on the contact page, and you will find the link to book in there. I look forward to connecting with you, and I look forward to you joining me again on the next episode of the Loki Podcast.